end. And uh, we're going to move through this section of scripture this morning. Hey, before we get started, I just want to let you know plans are underway for tailgate party two. Uh, yesterday we had almost uh, 50 people come out and hang out outside. We uh, threw the football around, had a good time. Uh, I'm thankful for Nancy Meyer who planned it. There we go. Oh, yeah, good, good, good. good. Um, and uh, and for everyone who came out, and we said that the uh, that the cleanup portion of that it happened so fast, we like we looked around and it was all done. It was fantastic, uh, everything was away and good. And I haven't had anybody say to me, you know, did you see this was left out or that was left out? So everything got done. It was great. Um, we had a great time, and uh, we would love to have you come to the next one because it was just fun to have fun and uh, watch everybody have. Fun. I did not get involved in the football game because I said I am competitive and foolish and will hurt myself and I have to work tomorrow. So uh, I am, I'm not going to play football. So it was fun watching everybody play. Um, we're going to read in Romans chapter 15 and start in verse 13. So if you turn there uh, in your Bible, uh, I'm going to read. The scriptures say, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by, power, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, 
by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as we come to this word. We thank you that we've been able to move through this book and to pick up different pieces of it and look at them and hear good and encouraging things from your word. And so I pray this morning, Lord, as we have examined in the past our condition before you in Romans 1 through 3 and the goodness and the amazing nature of the gospel in Romans 4 and the benefits and blessings in 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and then we see your plan in 9 through 11 and we hear of how you call us to act in Romans 12 13 14 and now 15 father I pray that we would see that things are not so incredibly complex there are difficult truths that we must grapple with. But difficult doesn't always mean complicated. And so, Father, I pray that as we read this morning and we see Paul's heart towards the church and his message to them, I pray that by your grace and for our joy that we would see that following you and living out the truth need not be that complicated, though it may be difficult. And so we pray, Lord, for your grace and your encouragement as we open your word. We pray that we would hear as those desiring to learn and then to act in obedience to you. Not because obedience saves us, Jesus' obedience on our behalf is what saves us. He took our sins and went to the cross that we might be purified and justified and acceptable in your sight and adopted by you. We pray that as we put our faith and trust in you, Lord, that you would fill us with the desire to respond to your love as your children, those who act based on the love that you have for us. We pray that if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, who does not know you in a way that saves, they don't know you as Father, they haven't trusted Jesus as Savior, I pray that they would put their faith and trust in you this morning as they hear, that they would say, I believe. And I pray you would fill them with the assurance that you are good and that you answer prayers and you respond to those who call on you. We thank you, we love you, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I am a collector of things. It has taken me almost the entire time that we've lived in this building uh, to declutter and to get rid of and unpack. I am like within striking distance of having what they call in the organizing and personal management world, peep. Right? A place for everything and everything in its place. Right? Like where I, where I close the doors of, of the, the cabinet in my office and everything is away. Right? I've got these three piles of things in my office that remain. Right? 
small electronics, office supplies, and papers. Right? Papers will go last, but uh, the shredder will eat. Right? You know? um, one of the things that I, I like to collect is tools. Right? I've got tools at home. I've got all kinds of different stuff, and you know, there are different tools for different occasions. And I've, I've thought, like, I will never use that saw. You know, I, my, my mom gave me this big saw that's wood, you know, and the blade, you know, is, is there. And you're, like, supposed to take this big thing. It looks like the letter D upside down. It's big, like, like this big. And you take that and you, you know, on a branch and cut it. But I've got a sawzall. And, you know, I use that for yard work. <laughs> I go out there and <laughs> cutting stuff down. I don't have a chainsaw. I don't need it. Um, anyway, so I've gotten rid of that big letter D saw thing, you know. I'm like, I'm going to pass that on. When I think about what we need in terms of tools, like most of what you really need, you could fit in a small toolbox, you know. You don't, you, you, there are tools that it's nice to have, but you can honestly borrow them from your neighbor. Right? You know, you can, you, can, you can say, hey, can I borrow this? You know, or borrow them from a friend. Uh, my default is to text Brian and say, can I borrow this? You know, I need this. You've got that, right? And then like a year later, I give it back to him. Um, I'm, I'm working on it. I am. Uh, you really don't need a whole lot, right? If you've, ever, if you've ever installed something with instructions, a lot of times at the very beginning, they have a little box. Right? And, and, and I like those boxes because they've, they've got little drawings, right? You know, and they say, you're going to need a hammer. You're going to need a screwdriver. You, know, you might need two screwdrivers, two screwdrivers, a Phillips head and a flat head. Right? And I think if you've got a hammer, two screwdrivers, a measuring tape, a wrench, and some pliers, you've pretty much got what you need to do most like out-of-the-box assemblies and installs, right? I mean, pretty much you got it. If all that stuff is in a box somewhere and ready and accessible, you can, you can pretty much accomplish the basic home repairs. Right? You may have some extra tools that are cool and exciting and specialized, but you, you, you're not going to need them all the time. You just, you're not. When it comes to the church, and to the life of the believer, as we get to the end of the book of Romans, and Paul, Paul is talking about how the believers are supposed to live, I was just amazed as I looked through this how few things Paul hits on here. Romans is this complex and broad book. Paul talks about all kinds of things that, that Christians need to know, and the, the subjects change as we go from passage to passage. And some people could think, I'm just a regular person. I'm never going to get and know all of this. But as Paul sums up, he says, there are relatively few tools you need to have in your box to get this and to live it. Each tool, I think, is... Uh, a ministry, a way, of, a way of serving or acting, and he, he lays them out. The first one is what I would summarize as the ministry of reminding, okay? The ministry of reminding. Uh, in Romans, there are two, of, two, two tools here. In Romans 15, 13, Paul says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is, this verse, like once you 
get this and you, you, like, you put this in your toolbox, you can use this for dozens of things. This is amazing. How does this, how does this work? First of all, it's a reminder of the good news and of the word and of faith and of abiding or living in the truth, right? Making your home right in this area and on this truth. How does this, how does this work? Okay, let me read it one more time. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God is the God of hope. Hope is the assurance that things will turn out as we have been told, right? We hear news, we hear facts, we hear information, and we say, I think that's true, right? And then we, we say we're going to set our course to head in that way or that direction, and we hope, we have this assurance that what we have believed will turn out to be what is, what is true. And so what Paul says here is that his desire, his hope for them is that the God of hope would fill them with all joy and peace. And isn't that what most people are after? They want to be happy. They want to enjoy the moment. They want to have this bubbling up sense of gladness, a sense of contentment about their life that doesn't depend on circumstances, and they don't want to be filled with anxiety or uncertainty. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Now look at what Paul says how it happens. He says it happens in believing or by believing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. What he's saying here is he is hope. God is the God of hope. It will turn out as we have been told, and we hear words from God, we hear good news from him, we hear good news about who Jesus is and what he has done for us, and we say, I believe that is true. We press forward in faith, and God fills us with joy and peace. The Spirit causes us to abound in this truth. This is good news. You know why? Because it makes the daily life of the believer relatively simple. What we need to do when we hear God's word is to say, do I believe that's true? Right? If I believe it's true, then do I live like I believe it's true? And if I don't, what is the disconnect between the two of them? If I believe it's true and I don't live like it's true, what is, the, what is it that's getting in the way? Is it that if I really, truly trust God, he's going to say, go do something crazy, like go live in Africa and eat bugs, right? That's our, our fear is like if we let go and trust God, that he'll, he'll do something crazy with our life, right? That's, that's one fear. Another, another fear is, does God really, does he really mean that towards me? Does he mean that truth towards me that I can trust him in every single circumstance, that he will never leave me or forsake me? Is that, is that really true? And as we go to the Lord then with that obstacle and we say, would you please break this piece of doubt that lives within me? Would you please remove that? Would you remove that struggle? I believe we get one or of two answers when we understand the gospel. We get God 
accepts me and loves me despite this struggle. Right? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, because of the great love with which he loved us, he raised us up from the dead. Not because of the great faith which, which we put our faith in him. Right? He doesn't say that. He says, God, because of the great love with which, we, uh, with which he loved us, he raised us up. We say he accepts me and loves me despite this doubt, or he goes to work on it and removes it. And that's good news. And so how do we abound in hope? We remember the good news that God is there and he is desiring to fill us with joy and peace. But what we must do is receive his word and say, I believe that's true. And the spirit will cause us to abound in hope. That's good news, folks. We don't have to look out at our lives and say, I need to get 75 things in order before I am acceptable and fine. What we need to do is to look to the truth of the gospel and to say, God loves me and accepts me on the basis of the fact that his son died for me, but he set his affection on me and called me to himself. And I believed him. And that's the foundation of it. That's the foundation of how we move forward. And as we read and hear the word, we then walk in the truth of it. The second thing that Paul says here is he says that he is satisfied about them, that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and that they are able to instruct one another. Okay, let me, let me say this about what Paul is, is saying about this church. Right? He writes to them and he says, you've got ethnic divisions within you. There are people who are judging one another. There are people who aren't getting along and aren't forgiving one another. There's bickering and they're fighting. But this is what he says about you. You've believed the truth of the good news about Jesus and I am satisfied. And I'm assured that you're filled with goodness. That God has done a great work in them and that they are in him and acceptable to him. This is what I think a lot of believers or Christians think about themselves and their church. And I'm not talking just about this church because I know a lot of Christians and I know a lot of pastors. We don't have what we need to get the job done right now. I'm not sufficient to live this Christian life. I don't have enough. I need to learn more or do more and then God will accept me. I am small and unable to make any real impact on the world. Our church is small and unable to do anything of real significance, right? And so we need to grow. We need to get more. We need to do this. We need to do that. This needs to be fixed. That needs to be fixed. This is what Paul says. Think about what he says to the Roman church. I am satisfied about you. That you are filled, sorry, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Yeah, but they're the Romans, right? Right? They, Paul like taught them 
Think about it. Paul thought it was important to write them this letter and to explain the gospel to them. All the, the good news about, uh, about who Jesus was to them because they struggle with their own sinfulness, right? You know, he, he, he told them, this is who you were when you were born in the first three chapters, and this is why you are under the condemnation of, of God. And here is how righteousness comes to you through the death of Jesus on the cross. And this, these are the implications of it. And this is God's world plan. And get along and stop judging one another, folks, right? He writes them this letter, but he says to them, you know everything you need to know. You're filled with all knowledge and you're able to instruct one another. You know what that means? That means that the things that we need to know, the basics, are relatively simple and not complicated. Some people have said that the Bible can be summarized, right, in the Great Commission to make disciples Teach them to observe all that the Father has commanded. That's the great commission. And then the great commandment, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And you know what? Jesus agrees with that. It's relatively, relatively simple to get going and get moving, doing the right things, doing what it is that the Lord has called us to. He says he is satisfied about them. When you look at our fellowship, who we are as a church. Do you believe that Paul would say, I'm satisfied about you? That you are filled with goodness. That you are filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. I think if you look at the church and you say, no, I don't think that. Maybe you're trying to put too many tools in the box, right? Maybe the standards are just too high. Because I think it's amazing when you look at the scriptures, who God chose to use, who he chose to work through, right? Moses was a murderer who snuck away and hid for 40 years. Right? The Lord appears to Gideon and calls him to deliver his nation, and he calls him mighty man of valor. Do you know where Gideon was when God called him mighty man of valor? He was hiding in a hole in the ground. Right? There is some absurdity and ridiculousness to that story, that God uses people who are not sufficient to the task to accomplish the task, because ultimately the glory goes to him and not to the people. Now, what Paul says in verse 15, though, is this. On some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, right? You know what you need to know. You have what you need. You've got everything, but you need to be pointed in the direction and sent in the way that you should go. And so this is what I believe about our church at this moment in 2018. We have what we need for right now. We have everything that we need to fulfill the ministry that God has put before us at this moment. We have what we need for this stage of our existence. And I believe that we have everything that we need to be able to look out into the future and to say we can be part of change in this community. We can be part of loving one another and helping each other grow into the image of Christ. And we can be part of God's plan to change the world. 
what we need to do is to trust and to obey as we look forward. And as God says, take a risk here, step out in faith there, give here, train here, grow here, focus here, share the gospel here, change this perspective or this belief about what you think about how I will work here, we need to be ready to say, yes, we will. As God reminds us from the word what the next steps and the next stages are for us. What he says is that Paul speaks to them boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to him by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus. Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles, to those who are far from Christ, who knew nothing of what the, the Jews had experienced in history. And he says that he was to go to them in the priestly service of the gospel of God. He was coming and he was making an offering to the Gentiles and saying, here, God has, has accomplished this. I'm bringing this to you. And the purpose of bringing it to them was so that the Gentiles would become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We, as believers, need to be refined and to grow, not to be acceptable to God, but because we have been redeemed. We're called to grow more and more as we walk with Christ into the image of our Savior, sanctified and transformed by the Holy Spirit. We're to be grown more and more into his image. I have driven cars in the past that I have neglected their maintenance a bit, right? They say change the oil every 3,000 years, you know, or 3,000 <laughs> miles. You know. Change the oil every 3,000 miles. You know, I'm like, I'm like I could go 6,000 years between changes, right? Or 6,000 miles, right? You know, what do you do when your car starts to pull to the left? If you're a good car owner, right, you go right into the shop, right? You know, and you say, hey, fix my wheel alignment. But sometimes you just turn the wheel a little bit more to the right, right? I think that's what human beings in the church are like. We just need regular attention and alignment. We come into this place, into this gathering of people, into this family who, you know, plays football together and talks trash to one another, hopefully, like, in relation to football and not in relation to details of life. But, but what we do is we... We come different, with different pasts and different experiences and different jobs and different passions and with different focuses, but we say we have one heart, and that is to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself, and to go and to make disciples, to share the gospel, and to see people transformed. And so someone might want to help the poor, and someone might want to do international work, and you know what? That's fine. And so here, I think, is Paul's growth initiative for the church, right? They needed to stop trying to fix one another constantly. Take their eyes off of each other and stop trying to fix everything that was wrong with each other. Instead, focus on fulfilling and living out their ministry together to accept and to welcome one another and to sharpen their focus. To look at the good and amazing things that God had done in them in their past and who they were in the present and then to say, look out there 
and see what would God have you do? How would he have you live? Here's what I believe about our church. We've got some fun, friendly, happy, loving, hardworking people here. What we need to do is to say, when someone walks into our door for the first time, what do they need from us? How do we care for them and love them? So if they choose not to come back, that's on them, not on us, right? We were welcoming and kind. We didn't overwhelm them, you know, kept our distance, but also we're friendly, right? You know, we, we loved them. We told our neighborhood that we were here. We sought to look out into the community and to say, what is it that the church can do? What can we do to show people that God cares for them and love them and then show up and do it? What can we do internationally to demonstrate the love of God and to then speak the gospel? We are called to, this, this is what I think the, the focus is in the first tool. I'm getting into my other tools here. I'm confusing the toolbox. All right. The first thing that we need on a regular basis is reminding and refocusing. We just need to be reminded and refocusing. Refocused. We need to be reminded of the truth of the gospel, and we need to be reminded of things we already know. The gospel is at the focus. We always need to be told it's about Jesus and not about us. It's about being redeemed by him and not about being perfect. And then we need to be told you already know everything you need to get to work. Not to earn God's affection, but because of it. Second ministry here is the ministry of speaking ministry of speaking in verse 17 paul says i have reason to be proud of my work for god let me tell you what that is a liberating sentence for me right so many people i think live underneath this cloud of 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 forced humility right like they can't ever say anything good or positive about anything that they've done because that would be bragging and boastful and the bible says never to boast and never to you know point attention to themselves and you know paul breaks that rule paul says i have reason to be proud of my work for god and i think that as a church what what a blessing to be able to cultivate a proper sense of pride in what we do Look at what he says here. I will not venture to speak of anything except what God has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. This is Paul's target audience. These are the people that he was sent to reach, to go and to tell them that they were in a broken relationship with God, that they were on the losing end of this deal, right? That they were going to be separated from him eternally. But God had repaired the relationship by sending Christ to take their sins upon himself and that they could receive his righteousness if they would put their faith and trust in him and repent. If they would put their faith and trust in him, he would restore the bridge and they could walk across the bridge, they could enter the relationship again and say, here we are, and God would say, not you wretched sinner, you horrid, horrible uh, rebel, but instead, I loved you and I called you to myself and you came and you are my child. That's amazing news. And so what Paul does is he goes to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews who don't know any of this stuff, and he shares the gospel with them. And he did it, and he says he has pride of accomplishment for what he has done. 
not really what he's done, what God did through him. Paul speaks of the work of Christ through him. So uh, Nancy got me the iPad Pro, right? Um, yes, yeah, a couple years ago. I like it because the screen protector on it is cracked, right? And so when people look at it, they think like, oh, look, you know, this is old, you know. But underneath it, everything's fine. It's just a screen protector that's cracked. So it doesn't, it doesn't look quite so, like, look what I got, you know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> she got me that, and then, you know, my mom gave me a little bit of money, you know, for Christmas, and uh, my dad, too. And, and, and I bought myself an Apple Pencil, right? I love this thing. I love it. Love the Apple Pencil. So I'll sit in meetings, you know, and, uh, and someone will give me handouts. I take pictures of them, and, and then I write and draw all over everything. You know what people say? People say, look at that drawing. Like, that's cool, right? What they don't say is to the Apple Pencil, they don't say, you did such a great job. You go. Like, good for you, right? They don't say to the, to the iPad, good for you, right? Here's, here's the danger here, I think. We can, we can become so focused on ourselves and on our performance that we miss the fact that God is the one who's going to work through us. We can become so focused on being humble and removing all sense of, of risk and you know, daring from our lives that we never say, maybe God wants to do something crazy and amazing through me today gotten my coffee in this place every day, every week, right, for the last how many years? Is it really possible that if I speak up and say something to this person, something amazing is going to happen? Yes. Yes, it is. We've become, we've become so humble, I think, at times that we say, we say, God's not going to do anything here because it's me. And I'm just simple and normal. But this is the truth of what Paul is saying here. He says, I have reason to be proud of my work for God because Paul gets out of the way and he allows God to work through him. And this is the amazing truth that when we get out of the way and we say it is not about me and it's not about my performance, I just need to be faithful, God shows up and does stuff. We say, Lord, use me. And God shows up and uses us. Here, I think, is the, here, I think, is the struggle with, with the prayer, use me, okay? I'm off my script here, okay? I just I feel the need to say this. Um, many times, we pray spiritual things, and we earnestly mean them, but we don't mean the implications of what we're praying, okay? Right, Lord, I want to be a servant. Make me a servant. Use me, right? Let me tell you what, when somebody catches me in Target, or I was at Best Buy like two weeks ago, and I did not look like a Best Buy employee because they wear like khaki and blue, you know, but the woman walked up, this woman walked up to me, and she said, do you work here? And I was like, pardon me? And she was like, I'm trying to return this, and I was like, oh, don't treat me like a servant. Do not treat me like I work here, because I definitely do not work here. Yeah, that was my heart. But I was like, I think you want to go to the customer service desk. It's right over there. You know, inside I was like, you know, we want to be servants, because in the moment we're like, yes, Lord, but we don't want to be used. 
that right? How, you're, when your tube of toothpaste is used up, right, it has been flattened and smashed and stretched. You know, in our house, we're like, you know, with the toothbrush end. We, we got the little plastic thing, or we had it at one point, and it was where that thing's gone. You know, where you put it on there, and you're like, and you crush that thing and get every last ounce of toothpaste out of there, right? Some of you guys, you grab and squeeze it right in the middle. Stop with you guys. Stop doing that. Kidding. I really, I squeeze it in the middle sometimes. Yes, I do. Um, Nancy's like, you be honest. This is the struggle. We want to be used, but we feel like we shouldn't get used up in the process of being used. We're not used to the fact that being used hurts and involves risk and is scary. And sometimes it's intensely draining to be used. Think about what Paul is saying here. He says that he spoke the word to the people who needed to hear it. He, he brought Gentiles to obedience. He went out there and he proclaimed and he did it by word and deed. He not only spoke, but his actions matched his words. By power of signs and wonders, God did things through him, and he said, that's not me doing it, it's God doing it. Right? Man, this is difficult, isn't it? People, people say, you're amazing. Or, like, you're, the circumstances of your life are so blessed. You're incredibly lucky. Look at, that. Look at what's happened to you. Look at the circumstances of your life. And we want to say, yes, absolutely, it is this way because I am smart and attractive and brilliant and all the we want to take the credit but instead it's difficult to say no it comes from here it comes from him it's god's works so he says by the power of signs and wonders by the power of the spirit of god god's god's power flowing through me sometimes we want to say something to someone and we want them to immediately change and immediately be transformed and we're not thinking like a farmer which is the image in the scriptures right that the word is sown that, that the seeds are planted that that god takes time and he's the one who causes the growth right in the in the parable the guy sows the seed and then goes to sleep i'm not talking about the parable so i'm talking about the, the parable of of the field the guy goes to sleep and then Plants grow while he's asleep. He just puts the word out there. Plants grow because God causes them to grow. We want to be involved. We don't, we don't, we don't necessarily know. We've not been focused on the fact that when God uses us, he uses us, and we often feel used by it. And we're not sure what the return is. We have to wait and to see what God will do. And that can be risky and scary. When you look at Paul's life and you look at the book of 2 Corinthians and you look at all the things that he said he suffered, he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, right? That's evidence of a life of, of someone stepping out and taking some hits because of it. Sometimes we're going to share the gospel and someone's going to say, don't ever bring this up to me. Oh, don't talk to me about this. What's wrong with you? You know? 
Sometimes we're going to say, hey, you know, maybe you'll come to church. Maybe you should, you know, hey, why don't you come to, to Christmas services with me? Why don't you, you know, why don't we look at the Bible together, right? And someone's going to say, nah, not really interested. But we have to be putting the word out there. We have to be draw, attempting to draw people in for anything to happen. Does that, does that make sense? We have to recover a sense of risk when it comes to speaking. The main focus of Paul's words here in verses 17 to 19 involve actually speaking the good news. Right? Some people say preach the gospel and if necessary use words, right? I get what they're saying. Paul said in word and in deed, and I think that that statement focuses on deed. Make sure that the gospel is backed up by the actions that are going on in your life. Maybe you've, maybe you've seen somebody, some angry driver cuts you off, you know, and then you notice the fish in the back of their car, right? The car is Christian. That's what you're supposed to absorb from that. The car is Christian, not sure about the driver, right? You know, deeds ought to back up words. But the gospel is something, the good news about Jesus is something that requires words for us to understand. We have to actually say. And so Paul speaks the good news. And now notice what then he goes on to say. He says he speaks in places where the good news is unknown. He speaks in places where the good news is unknown. He says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. Paul is not eager to move into someone else's territory and to say, oh, there's a bunch of Christians over here. Right? Let's invite them to be part of what we're doing. Let's invite them to be into in our faction. Paul doesn't move into someone else's territory. He says, I want to start with a blank page and I want to, I want to draw my own drawing. Right? I want to start with a blank scrap of ground. I want to build my own house. He doesn't build on someone else's foundation. He lays the foundation himself. This is what I've found after 11 years of, of being in this town, uh, a, a large church in our area just announced that they're going to be uh, starting another church, you know, a, another, another section of their church, another site of their church. They made a big announcement. A bunch of people are excited about it. They've got all these people who are committed to it. And I, I get some messages from some pastors saying, you realize that, like, they're coming my direction. So, well, they're, it's like they're coming into my territory. I'm like, I have an idea. How about we stop fighting over the same three or 400 Christians? And maybe if we look around, we'll find some people who could become Christians. Come on. Right? How about instead of fighting over each other's disciples, we try to go make some new disciples? Only God can make a disciple. Oh, yeah, that's true. But he does it using people. He does it when we speak the word. Right? This is what causes, causes fights. Okay, let me, let me just say this. Um, Melissa Graves, who's not here, sent me this really sweet, nice invite card that I was like, please make it look like this. And I named all my sermon titles uh, for, for, I named all my sermons for December. We're going to do like hope for the holidays. You know, maybe you're anxious, maybe you're grieving, maybe you're this, maybe that. And, and you're going to, I'm going to give these cards to you guys. And I'm like, hey, take these and go give them out. I'm gonna do something terrifying for me, right? I'm like, I'm like, uh, medium coffee, 
cream, Splenda, sugar in my phone, and I drive away, right? And I talk about these people in my sermon all the time, right? I'm like, you, know, you, need to be, you need to be respectful and kind to the people that you buy coffee from, right? And I, and I don't get angry when they get my order wrong, and I don't go back in and say, like, how dare you? But I don't know the spiritual status of any of these people. I know some of their names. I don't know if they're Christians. I'm going to invite them to come to Christmas. Because it's time, right? And people do religious spiritual things. And so they're going to come and they're willing to come to church. And we're going to say, hey, we've got a, we've got a tree out. And we've got decorations. We're going to be singing Christmas songs. And we're going to be preaching the gospel. Yeah. Right? And so we want them to come. And so this is, what, this is my, my hope. Let's not build on someone else's foundation. We're going to put out a bunch of these cards. This is my hope. Please find some people who aren't going to another church. Don't say, don't say your, your, your church doesn't preach the truth the way that our pastor preaches the truth. Would you please come to our church? It's better. Maybe it is. Because you're here, right? Maybe it is better. But let's not go in there and rip people out and cause trouble there. Uh, I, I had lunch with the pastor of a large church, and uh, he was just talking about some of the struggles that he was you know, dealing with and going through. And, and he said, you know, a, a pastor of another large church once said to me, because he was asking, how do, I, how do I grow my church? And he said, you know what, big dogs, more fleas. You know, the bigger the, bigger the, the, the organization, the more you've got more problems. Small organization, problems. Big organization, problems. Let's not be the source of unrest or trouble in other churches. If you know somebody who, man, they haven't been anywhere in years, you know, and they've not gone, they were, they, you knew them from some other church, but they're not somewhere like, yeah, reach out to them and be like, hey, come. Hey, come be part of a family. Like, get connected. These people exist. They, they call them the de-churched. Right? And there's the unchurched, and there are tons of them. There are people who all they know of Jesus is that his name is a television cuss word. They have no idea. They don't know. And they need to be introduced to the truth. I was telling the, the guys at the end of the men's breakfast yesterday. Oh, I got a whole other page of notes. I'm going I'm to say this, and I'm going to move, because I didn't plan on saying this either. I was telling them that the Southern Baptist Convention, which is church is part of it, and we're proud of I'm proud of that, right? They employ a guy, a guy by the name of Tom Rainer, and Tom Rainer is, uh, he has studied, he is an amazing scholar, he knows statistics, he heads an organization that we call Lifeway, which, you know, some of you know they publish books, but they also do research, right? This is the largest religious research organization out there. They ask all kinds of spiritual questions, they do surveys, they, they look at statistics, they analyze polls and census data and stuff. Massive organization. And you know what they have determined? This is what Tom Rayner says. After all of his research and all of his study, do you know what it is that is the most likely thing to bring a person into a church? You hear the gospel? An invitation from someone else. Right? Now, the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians Chapter 5, that we are ambassadors pleading with people to be reconciled to God, right? That that's our task, to say to them, God wants to reconcile with you. Look, he's made peace. Would you be reconciled to him? We built this massive research organization. 
to go out and survey people and do all this scientific tests and study. And you know what they found out? That 1 Corinthians 5 is true. And I'm not making fun of them for it. I think it's good. Sometimes, like, you know, you ever hold your breath and they're like, researchers have done a study on whether or not this is good for you. And you're like, please be good for me. Because I love you, right? You know, I love this. You drink one cup of coffee a day, you know, it, it's good for you. It helps whatever. I'm like, cool, I'll drink five. Well, you guys are laughing a lot today. That was supposed to be funny. Man, anyway, all right. You know, this is, this is the thing. When it comes down to it, it is about relationships. It is about a relationship that you have with somebody that you are building, and it's about the fact that you are trying to bring them into a relationship with the Father who is already searching for them, who already loves them, who is already calling them to be reconciled to him, and you are just coming along, and you are making the arrangement. You're saying, hey, you two need to know one another. So I'm hoping we will recover a culture of inviting. Tomorrow, a bunch of people are going to show up here, and they're going to make the place look all Christmassy and fun, you know, for Christmas, right? Because it's coming. They're going to set the stage. I'm going to try to give you a tool to invite folks. I hope you're going to say, yes, let's get some people to hear the gospel. And when they come and they hear it, you can then say, what did you think about that? Finally, second to finally, ministry of helping. Second to finally, ministry of helping. Paul says this, this is the reason why I've been hindered from coming to you, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Paul's ambition was to preach the gospel in new places. Now, there might not be new places anymore. If you've seen that Disney movie Up, right, the kid wears the Explorer helmet, and he's all excited to explore the world, and they say everything's been explored to him, like his heart cracks and like crumbles, you know? It's true, everything's been mapped. Everything's been plotted, all the places have been discovered. But the truth is there are lots of places where Jesus isn't. And we ought to be excited to try new things and to exert and to stretch and strive and strain to bring the gospel to those places. So you may get an email from the church saying, hey, somebody wants to go out and deliver cookies to our neighbors and say, thanks for dealing with our stuff. Coming in and out of your neighborhood, thanks so much, here are cookies. Hey, why not join us for Christmas and then leave, right? And that might be scary and intimidating, but maybe God will do something. Paul talks about the fact that he was a minister and he was seeking to minister to people and that he was hoping that they would help him, that they would join with him and help and send him on to other places. He talks then in verses 25 and 29 about helping to embody the gospel in meeting real needs, right? He talks about the fact that he's going back to Jerusalem before he comes to them because he's been collecting funds and money and he was bringing it to the poor down there in Jerusalem and that it was good for the church to do this. Paul is promoting the gospel. He's promoting the good news through meeting material needs as he brings the collection 
to them. And he says, as I come to you, I'm hoping that I'm going to come to you and you're going to help me get to my next place. You're going to help me get to Spain. As a church, I believe it is a good thing to look at our budget and our income and to say, how can we get the gospel to more places? When we have our business meeting today, you're going to hear that things are good financially. We're in a great financial place. We are meeting our budget. And we are meeting our requirements in order to stay in business. But the real question is, is that enough? Right? Should we be saying, hey, what can we do for our youth? Yes, we should. What can we do to fund more missionaries? What can we do to fund more ministries? What can we do to get the gospel places that it is already not planted? And that's going to take some striving and some sacrifice. But Paul talks about the fact that the gospel and gospel ministers need help in order to get there. And so that's something that we ought to say, I can't do it all on my own, no one can, but I can help the job get done. And so we continue to band together. And then finally, Paul talks about the ministry of prayer. He says that he appeals to the church to pray that he would be delivered from opposition, that he would have success in ministry. This is in uh, verses 30 and, uh, and, and 31 and 32. And then he talks about that he would join among them and have times of refreshing and joy. He asks that people would pray, that they would be praying, that they would be asking God to make a difference. But let me, let me show you where he lands. Because I think it's interesting because it feels like where he began in this section. He says that his prayer for them when Paul speaks in May language, he is often speaking of his prayer life. He says, may the God of peace be with you all. And he's saying that they need to remember the gospel and they need to remember God's attitude toward them. And so this, I believe, is our ministry of prayer. We ought to be praying that we make it through any opposition or any difficulty. We ought to pray for unity. We ought to pray for success in ministry. I love the fact that Paul prays for safety in travel here because every now and again somebody will be real spiritual and they'll say, where, where does the Bible say that we ought to pray for safe travel for people? You know, the gospel is about suffering right there. Deliver me, right? You know, I pray that, that I would come to see you and that I would be refreshed. But then at the end, he says, may the God of peace be with you all. May we remember the fact that God is the one who's come to make peace with us. And if we put our faith and trust in Christ, then all of the blessings of the scriptures, Ephesians 1, 3 says, are ours. This is good news, folks. We don't need a ton of things or tools to accomplish our ministry. We just need to say, this is what God has given us. Let's be faithful and step out in faith, trusting him, doing what he calls us to, and watch him work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to hear your word and to share it. I pray that each person in here would have an awareness and an assurance of your love for them. Father, I pray that by your grace and for your glory, we would be a church that is marked by trust in your word, 
by faithfulness to it and then faithfulness to speak and to pray and to share and to focus on what is most important. Father, I pray that we would be passionate to see people come to you, to see people come to know you, that we wouldn't have a passion for ripping people out of other churches, but instead we would have a passion for bringing new people into the church, bringing them to the gospel and seeing them come to know you and to love you. You are good and kind to us. You call us to you because you're good and kind. May we live lives that demonstrate that goodness and kindness because you loved us first. We pray that we would not make this overly complex, but that we would share and invite and draw people in and be faithful to speak your word because that's when you show up and work. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness toward us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.